Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 19th of July 2021. And as far as we're concerned, harvest will start this week, which is obviously very exciting. So what should we start with? There has been a bit of barley cut in East Anglia, which was better than hoped for is the quote, not a barn buster. And I think that is a reasonable place to start. I think the yields on winter malting barleys will be good, but they didn't get the benefit. They were dry at possibly slightly the wrong moment. They got plenty of rain in May, but I don't think we should be seeing too many problems with thin grains or low yields. Although one or two farmers are telling me that they think they're going to have a thin crop. Maybe that's the way they rub it out because they're the ones that are standing up tall when you go in the field. I don't know. It's close enough to say that next week we will know all the detail and all of this week is going to be speculation. So in terms of values for feed barley, harvest movement is around £140 a tonne. I think it's going to stick around there for a time. Obviously, if there's a pressure, once the consumers have got what they need, and if there aren't any boats coming in for a week or two, there might be pressure points on that. You know, is malting barley going to be up to spec? Should be, we think, so it shouldn't put extra pressure on the market. And it's one of those commodities, I think, where harvest price relative to forward price will, in the end, I think it will look cheap. I think the S&D on barley is tight around the world, not so much in the UK, but it is tight. And I think there'll be opportunities to export later in the season, which will keep the market firmer. So I don't see much downside at this moment to feed barley if you have got the capacity to store it. So if you can do that, fine. If not, there's probably going to be some pressure as the harvest progresses in terms of price. Because, you know, if you're setting aside a store and taking the risk of storing it, you can't pay absolute top dollar. Because there's no guarantee you're going to be able to sell it for a premium and cover the cost of your storage. So we shall see. Anyway, it's beginning. As far as malting prices are concerned, I think it's a very, very crazy time to give you that. I would say winter barley is 160-ish for low nitrogens and spring barley is another 10 or above that, somewhere in that region. But it's a pretty volatile time. To me, the crop potential looks like it's going to pass its test quite easily. So I'm hoping, certainly I'm very optimistic about the spring barley crop. I did my annual walk around the Chebuck farm in Tivitchell and they had some spring barley because of the difficulties of planting wheat last autumn. The markings I gave it was in excess of three tonnes an acre. I'm quite optimistic, big heads and quite big bold grain. So fingers crossed it gets a good finish and everybody will gain the benefit of his grain spring barley this year. All of the tillers were supported and from when they formed right the way through to the ripening. So I'm optimistic. Moving on to oilseed rape, the price has, well everything's gone up this week, we're going to talk about the wheat in a second, but rape, currently 450 X farm for harvest movement, that's a very steamy price, the market is incredibly volatile, it's firm, I don't see anyone trading it until they physically get the stuff cut, rape to me is at least two weeks away still, 
So we're late and there's a possibility that one or two of these crops are all going to come in together in a little while. If this weather does turn genuinely hot for a long period of time, there is going to be some pressure on physically moving stuff quick enough for people to keep harvesting and the pressure on the lorries because lorries are short. There is an issue with haulage. So I think it could be a benefit to us in the sense that we have stores that are open till late in the evening where other people go home at sort of three o'clock. And I think that providing that service is going to be actually, in the end, you have to say, well, either I move this or I don't. And sitting there waiting for someone to start taking delivery of something, holding up something else being cut is not a very professional way to go about your life. So you can blame everybody else if you like. But as far as it goes, you need to have a strategy for how harvest could go wrong and make sure that doesn't happen to you. So central stores, I think, could have some uses, to say the least. I also think with a late harvest, we're much more likely to see some damp grain coming in. And I'm itching for the first person to moan about drying charges, having not used the dryer for five years or four years in anger, if you like. Any person who has not invested in a dryer and wants to have a whinge about how much drying charges are, feel free, I'm the person you need to phone up. And we'll discuss investment and depreciation and maintenance and the fact that if you didn't have people who had invested in it, you wouldn't be able to harvest because it would go mouldy in your shed. So look forward to the conversation. Right, rant over. Wheat. Well, it's one of those moments where three days ago the price was trading at 164.25 on the Nov Futures and about two minutes ago the market traded at and is bid 176, so £12 rally in a three-day period. There's been floods in Germany, northern France, Belgium, touching on Luxembourg, which must be impacting the quality of European wheat. There's concerns developing around the milling wheat spec in Europe which is going to add to the feed wheat pile. Let's not forget that. There's certainly been a lot of damp weather at the wrong moment all the way through parts of Europe, which is going to come to bear. During the week, the Russians wrote their crop down by 3 million tonnes. The heat and dryness has continued in Canada. So their crop really is in trouble. That's been an ongoing thing. It shouldn't give us a catalyst sort of £10 rally, but the continuation of the weather pattern has got to add up to a bullish market. The spring wheat in the States, in the Dakota areas, have also struggled. The crop rating is something like 60-odd percent poor to very poor. So that has a good reason to go up, but that's been an evolving thing as well. There's been plenty of rain in the corn crop areas, the big ones, the key areas. But the ongoing forecast from now onwards is dry. And within that dry period, there is quite a warm spell coming. And no doubt in the middle of a 34 degree day, there's somebody going to start panicking and start buying futures again. So there's some weather that could send the corn market up. There's weather that has been atrocious to the spring wheat development. The Canadian weather's been bad. We've now got an issue going on in a large slice of Europe in grain producing areas. So yeah, there's a number of things. I can't put a finger specifically on why it's just done the nutty thing. If people are short going into harvest expecting a big yield, which in my mind is the overriding sentiment, it's been nullified by a weather event. And these things come completely out of the blue, totally unpredictable. Is it over the rally? No, doesn't feel like it. Maybe Monday morning when we've all got sunburned and had a few barbecues too many then maybe we'll feel like selling it on Monday morning and harvest starting. But I don't know, this is not a UK-led rally, so I can't honestly tell you which way I think it's going to go next. So I'll give you a value at this moment in time, November 169.
And if you take harvest, it's going to be something like 160, which is pretty good, really, isn't it? I don't know. You tell me. The crop, I think, having walked around the Chebuk's fields, I think is going to yield well. I don't think it's going to be an absolute barn buster. And I also think there is issues with disease in some of the wheats. And this isn't just on the Chebuk's farm. I've been around a few now. And I think there is a bit of an issue coming with fusarium. And, you know, one or two fungal sprays were missed or something to save a bit of cash. Might regret that. Let's see. The big thing is the crop is two weeks behind schedule. We will not see wheat in earnest, I don't think, until at least the 10th of August. And that is late. And therefore the armada of boats coming from France or wherever they're coming from are going to need to be continuously flowing into the ports. And I don't think many of them are coming into East Anglia. So we could get a little bit tight in East Anglian mills in the first week, 10 days of August. I think that could be quite interesting. Anyway, my market chat this week is the second part of my conversation with my old mucker, David Kidner. And as I say, here we are. We're staring down the barrel of harvest, starting. Our stores are ready. I hope everybody else is ready and excited by the prospect. This is my 43rd harvest working, so still excited. Still can't wait to see the first samples coming in. With that, have a great week's trading. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. And now it's time for Farm Chat. Right, David. Welcome back to part two. We're now going to touch on the thorny subject. So uh, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> What do you want to do? I don't want to talk about harvest first, because we'll be cheerful during that. I've got some big questions. No, no, you got it the wrong way around. Mm -hmm. I'm gloomy about harvest, but cheerful about Brexit. (laughs) Okay, so that's why we're going to talk about harvest. This has been recorded at the end of the first week of July. Normally, you're one of our earliest farmers cutting feed barley on your light end fields. Yep. When do you expect to start this year? 20th. Okay, and the wheat, is it in the same scenario, or could that catch up a bit? We've got very little wheat. Yeah, but the little bit that you've got. You've got to be careful saying anything. Because of our experience, you know the weather could change. It's set in a pattern now. Next week, the jet stream moves off east after Wednesday. Is that a fact? Yeah. Okay. And so the weather's going to clear next Thursday. Okay. According to the BBC weather for the week ahead. So you can assume there's some better weather, which is why I think, okay, give that another five days. We will be combining some lightland winter barley on Monday week-ish. Yeah. Probably. Wheat, we've got so little wheat because I've never had that before. Half the farm's in spring barley. Yeah. Whereas normally half the farm's in wheat. But that's just a testament to our wet autumn. If you were the great-great-grandchild of David Kidner in the year 2079 and they're listening back at the archives, the dynamic of timings of harvest and, you know, the autumn that occurred in 2020 was the wettest, continuous wet autumn winter. So you simply couldn't plant the wheat. That's what happened. So for historical purposes, the reason there's so much spring barley this year is for no other reason than you simply didn't get any chance at all to plant it, did you? 
It's slightly more complicated than that Good, because I didn't take every chance. Some farmers, and on heavy land, learnt from the year before with spinning wheat on, cultivating yeah. on, and a lot of what I've seen locally, a bit south of here, it looks fabulous. Oh. My inclination, I just didn't want to push on heavy land. Yeah, I can remember it in the 70s. Yeah, in awful conditions. So I took the approach of trying to be patient. That patience went on and on <laughs> and on to the point of... <clears throat> Oh, that's what guys spring barley. So that's what we did. Yeah. And as luck would have it, this year, the spring barley that went in pretty well on good time has had, I would suggest, perfect weather. Close to. Yeah. Well, fear was, as we've got used to, yeah, it's 33 degrees for weeks and no rain, which is kind of what happens in eastern... April was lining up for that, wasn't it? Mm. That was getting pretty grim. But then we've had the perfect May. Do you think every year we all get to a point of saying, weather, extraordinary weather? I used to write, when I was sitting down waiting for a trailer in the dryer, I used to write down a sort of summary of the year, incredible drought. And then it would be very wet some period. When I had been doing this for a year or two, I realised I was writing the same damn thing every every year. You know, extraordinary drought. Well, actually, it was about the same as the one the year before last. (laughs) Really incredible. And that's part of farming and living with the weather. Everything feels like, when it's going wrong, boy, it's you personally being attacked by the weather gods. And he deliberately, it's not, I'm not interested or aware of anybody other's farm, but my farm is burnt more than it would have. It's not fair, it's not right, it's personal attack. Uh, of course it isn't, over I, a long time. Our grandfathers were still swearing about the cold or the snow or the wet or the dry. I'm sure there's several farmers who completely and absolutely went to the same place. When you hear stuff, <clears throat> and being said enough to have read a bit about weather, it's when you hear of the great drought, 1921. Mm. Still probably more significant than any drought we've had. Not the heat, but the length of dry period, which was 18 months. Which will happen again. And 1976, that's in our life. I remember coming home from school and harvest was finished before I finished school. Yeah, I know, but when does the next ice age start? Which is as inevitable as anything. Well, now that it's 50 degrees in British Columbia. Yeah, more evaporation, more cloud. Who knows? Yeah, that would be useful for maritime climates, except the rain that keeps coming is getting more and more. There's greater volumes in shorter spaces of time, which in the end causes damage, doesn't it? Yes and no. What about the Great Norfolk Flood? Which year was that? That was 1916? I think it was 1912. Sugar Beet Factory, though, was opening and flooded. Flooded so badly they had to abandon the opening for... And then the First World War didn't open until 1920-ish. That's maybe my hazy memory. Yeah, there's <clears> pictures of Ailsham. Blowfield had eight inches in a day. That was probably yeah. recorded. In. So when they keep saying it's freak weather and we've had three inches, four inches, well, I just remember... <coughs> it has happened in the past. Worse. Absolutely. Well, this is back to my favourite subject of North Sea floods, the northwesterly gales going back through the centuries. There's recorded terrible events. It will happen again. It does feel, and I'm sure it is proving, that the summers are getting hotter and the, well, the global, it seems the extremes are more frequent. Global warming, there's a thing on the radio this morning saying that without doubt global warming contributed to the excessive heat in British Columbia. It's, it yeah. increased the chances several hundredfold. I mean, the big fear of that is, I mean, there was a big heat wave in Western Europe several years ago, 2003 or somewhere around there. And lots of people in France were dying and little bits of that high pressure came across southern England. And we suffered a lot of heat at that point. We're 20 years on from that. Next time that occurs, we'll have people in the UK you know, dropping yeah. as well. We'll be the wrong age for that moment, won't we? We will.
<laughs> if COVID doesn't get us. So harvest is late by at least two weeks. Although it's not really late, is it? It's what our fathers would have expected as being normal. Yeah, but it's late because of the varieties that we that we recently... Yeah. It's a season that has pushed us back. In the south of England, I'm told, feed barley traded at £200 a tonne today because they've run out of feed barley. And we've run out of feed barley. You know, it's slightly irritating for any feed barley you sold up now, but if you'd kept 30,000 tonnes of feed barley to this moment, how many tonnes would you sell at £200 a tonne? Not that many, and the balance would go at the new harvest price of 140 or whatever it is. But it is definitely good for one or two people in the trade to experience the not normal. The It's mm. get lulled into that, oh, it'll be there. Don't worry, we'll import some from France. That's always good, isn't it? Is it that did. your link to Brexit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can be. Now, I want to just finish on harvest first. So, I mean, with it being late, what does that mean in terms of, you know, moisture levels? Got to possibly push harvest days will be shorter. Possibly. And winter barley, I don't know what everyone else is like, but there's quite a bit of green in it from the dry, cold April. Who knows? But almost, you know how we've experienced that in spring barley. It seemed to be particularly laureate. It's happening in the winter barley. Whether it'll happen with those hot, dry spells and then it reshoots with the rain. But the winter barley is going to take a bit of patience because it's got green ears in it. Is there a part of you secretly glad that you spent money on a dryer and outside storage with cheap drying? Because finally, <laughs> we're going to have a harvest. Nah, I got past that. It, yeah. We used to use a dryer. When they changed the dryer, which is 20 years ago, mm. uh, it seemed like I spent all my time there. And the last few years... Phew, but that's it does three whole... loads of barley to get started and two that's loads the... of rape and that's it. That is the point though, isn't it? That is the point. We have not used a dryer in anger for six years. It's time overdue that we did. There will be harvests that you do spend most of your I time remember try... And it was you <clears throat> in the early part of the century where nearly everything went through the dryer. Yeah. 2007, was it? 2012? It's drying everything. Well, it's cycles again in the weather, yeah. so, so either Could global... Be for a run of what our fathers would consider an average harvest, possibly. You know, the days do get markedly shorter as August goes on. And if we're not starting until July the 20th, yeah, without a doubt. So you think, I can <coughs> see that, and because we've got so much barley for us, for our size farm, proportionally a huge amount, creates visions of, you get to half eight in the evening with barley. Spring or winter, in the damp, you're stuffed. You have to stop. Whereas with wheat, with a dry, you can push on a bit. Quite a bit sometimes. So I can see this barley that I thought, well, that's not too bad having barley because it'd be earlier than wheat, so we'll be harvesting... If you've got used to cutting it dry because the day, the forecast is good, it's a very long harvesting day, you can be a little bit selective about how quickly you go. Yep. If you are aged enough to say, right, you know, the, the forecast, yes, it looks reasonable, but my day length of cutting, now the stuff's down to 18%, now it's 1030 so if I wait two hours, it'll be down to 16%. I'll go in two hours' time. Will you go, hang on a minute, no, sorry, let's go, let's go now. Get out there, we'll be there in half an hour's time. It'll be 17 and a half, something like that, let's go. It depends on the year, doesn't it? The last few years, we've got quite complacent, personally. You know it's going to be red hot dry. You're actually almost thinking, well, actually, we better get started. I don't want to use a dryer. Why spend fuel drying it? And I know it's going to be 13.2 by yeah. 5 o'clock this evening. I actually think we'd better get started because we better have some at 16. We might be able to mix Blend it in. with the 11.9 that we get in a heat wave by the time you've started cutting. You can't Commercial knowledge, it. that is. That's nothing wrong with that. If your Just average is 14%, that's <clears> completely fine. As long as you can do the blending properly. I mean, we've had experience of people putting a hose pipe into barley and just creating unbelievable misery for the people that the grain was delivered to. So, yeah, that's a much more subtle way of blending than some mm. I've seen. It's very tricky, though. It's very tricky on a farm setup. 
because you really need two places because inevitably you get the wet stuff early. How do you mix it with the dry stuff at five o'clock? But if you've had five years of dry harvest only as your experience, you're an experienced farm manager now, let's say, on a big estate, and you're confronted with, hmm, okay, I'm used to this, we'll wait. And sometimes, just like the drilling plan, you know, we'll wait, doesn't work. Sometimes the weather is, you know, back to your appeal to the weather gods, you know, why pick on me? He's not picking on anybody, it's just the weather pattern's going to be wet this harvest, and every snatching moment you get to harvest it, you need to harvest it. And 18% with a drying charge is better than, you know, 15% in a week and a half's time with a lower kilo weight. And rubbish, no premium. If you're a five-year farm manager's only experienced hot-dry harvest, then really you need to speak to someone old, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but then, and then they won't believe you because which, things which, have changed. Which comes it's back not to like that anymore. Which comes back to last week's discussion about the football. My sons won't watch the football with me. Josh is just about ready to cope with it because he had enough disappointment in his time. But he actually banned me from watching England games with him because I was like we are. And so if you say, oh, it's going to be a wet harvest, you need to get on with it. You know, they're going to think, oh, silly old fool. What does he know? And then there's a part of you thinks, right, I hope it rains all the time. And it goes... <laughs> Anyway, that's bitter and twistedness coming out. Finally on this, so wheat, we can't predict it because it could be really sunny for two weeks and then you can get into wheat quicker, as you say, you yep. know, more forgiving on the dryer. Do you think the yield of the barleys and the wheats that you've got are going to be average, above average, excellent? Where would you put them on the scale? Uh, Allowing us, for your farmer pessimism. Average. <laughs> <laughs> You must think the spring barley is going to yield better than you thought. As you know, I think all farmers are complete optimists because you wouldn't put a crop in the ground that you're going to harvest a year-ish later and market, maybe sell it 18... So in theory, but actually I'm very much a natural-born pessimist Mm. expecting total doom and gloom and disaster. People tell me you've always had a harvest. Oh, not so. There's been a field last year that we ploughed in because it got too wet and ruined. So, no, there might not be. But it's really on the ground, so everything will turn out slightly better than I expect. And therefore, we survive another year, and so it goes on. Which comes back to the psychology of being an England fan, doesn't it? Maybe they're linked. Farming and pessimism, and maybe it'll be sunny one day. How can a Norwich City fan have optimism now? There's nothing in history to suggest you should have any optimism at all. Because Norwich City football clubs... Best, I'm going to get shot down here, aren't I? Never mind. Is always going to be at the top of the championship. Absolutely. Unless football is completely restructured with a maximum wage of 30 quid a week each and you do it for fun, it's gone because you can't compete with the billions, which is sad. Absolutely. And a major success will be 17th. Yeah. I think they've got got rid of their superstar. You don't get Wimbledon anymore, Andrew. Fighting their no, way up from Norwich will never long league to the top and back down again. Norwich will never win the Premiership unless no, Leicester did. Unless, 2016. Yeah, but same Leicester sort of has Then, in which case, someone's going to have to travel to Norfolk and go. Okay, here is several billion pounds. Over to you, boys. And yeah. we'll sign whoever the new Ronaldo and then, is. And then everybody can yahoo that their club is... No, it's not your club. It's just been bought yeah, by somebody just, from the other side of the world. Yeah, we won't point in which direction it could be bought from. We're going to move on to the stony subject, Brexit. You and I have generally most common ground on most things. We sort of discuss it all and come to just about the same place. Mm. Fair. Fair. The only thing we've really differed on is Brexit. Yep. You know, very clearly a, a Remainer, a Ramona, whatever. And... My argument was, in the long run, peace. You know, Europe, 
long history of fighting each other. Whatever goes on, we're going to end up in a place where we're more likely to scrap with them than not if we're not in the same club. Can I interrupt straight away? Because that's exactly the opposite of how I felt. Trying to force yourself to stay in a club that doesn't suit, doesn't fit, and is run by a European elite is more likely to cause trouble than anything else. Well, the idea that cause the bitterness. European Union going to create peace to me was just what? It's going to create friction, and it is. Yeah. So, do you feel completely vindicated? Vindicated. Yeah. Is that the word? <laughs> is that you trying to say you now realise you were utterly wrong? <laughs> no, I don't think I was utterly wrong. I think there's no, a price. You weren't utterly wrong. I think there's a price to be paid. Yeah. I mean, Boris did a deal to just go, yeah, get it, get it under. Yeah, yeah, Northern Ireland. Yes, fine, signed. And off he's done. And now he is intending to completely renege on the deal he's done and try and point the fingers at the well, Europeans. Come on, Andrew. Politicians, <laughs> not least the European Union, are reneging on promises on a daily, minute by minute basis. I fully accept. That Boris is good at doing a uplifting, slightly fluffy speech of "will be." That's terrific. Yeah. Everything else he should let someone else sort out. Detail, nah. He's best at just being the. That's fluffy. generous. Dude. Detail versus blatant fibbing. He has yeah, long history. They're all fibbing. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, what, go back one step further to before we had the referendum. Every politician was screaming at you, it will be a disaster, it will be Armageddon, you must vote to stay in the European Union. Were they telling the truth as well? Well, look, everybody wakes no. up every morning and has breakfast regardless, don't they? And they're either happy or unhappy. They didn't say they that. Don't. They said the world would definitely end. <laughs> you would get Obviously. nothing. The borders would be closed. Look what's going on with Europe. If you want my opinion, I mean, there's lots of hypocrisy all around. When Germany is saying, no, Portugal fans, you can't come because you've had an outbreak of COVID. Ooh, hang on. But Europe's borders are always open to every EU citizen, except when Germany says no. Hmm? Yeah, okay. What happened it. when COVID came? Suddenly, every sovereign border was shutting its border. You can't, in theory, in EU. Well, the rules go out the window. But a I'm... pandemic is slightly different to economic well, it's issues. With football fans as well. What? Say again. The Portuguese football fans—they were having a border dispute, slightly yeah. undercover. That Germany didn't want these people coming because you got a big outbreak of the new COVID. Right. But in theory, all the borders are always open for European citizens to move round it. But they're not really. No, but a pandemic is a reason for people trying to get a handle on their population not having a disease. You've got to try and close borders for that. How many hundred people a day were dying in Europe and they were saying it's fine and... Yeah, but there's the proof in the pudding was the vaccination where we did manage to get organised well, we, and they didn't. We still had lorries coming in from the continent because we had to because we rely upon that terrible yeah. continent. There's no tariff on the product coming one way. The deal that's been done by our great Boris is a very one-sided trip at the moment. There's no barrier this side of the fence unless you're an immigrant in a rubber dinghy then you've got pretty Patel to deal with which is okay fine the French are letting that happen and we're going to have to be pretty ruthless on it. But stuff going the other way, you know, are we blaming the, the French for being difficult on the border? Yes, we are. We're blaming them for being difficult. How dare they change all of the paperwork to French? Hang on a minute. We've decided to leave. Our language is English. Everything was in English previously. We've left. What reason is there anyone on the continent to use English as a base language? Other than the fact it's the main base language for everybody. However, irritating this, European Union can go, no, it's French now. I have a friend who 
has an internet business that sells all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it comes in from Europe, and he has suffered with getting hold of stuff. He's traded with the French and with various different people for years, and suddenly, with various complications, the French must have everything in French. Yeah. We never did before. Why do you need it now? Because England isn't part of the European Union. Ireland is. So you I could think say the well, European has shown why. Yeah, no, I, right I, I think that's addictive. small-minded I, French. And I can French understand German, their I, point. I, I, I we must that. be seen to suffer from even. We can't seem to have profited or be better off from leaving the EU. Yeah, I understand that. Because there well. might be a bit of a groundswell of other people trying to follow suit. How long is Germany going to keep subsidising the South? Are they happy forever to pay Greece, Portugal? Mm. We'll see. Well, that's the point. But uh, disintegrating Greece with all of the immigrants coming across and the issues where it loses control of its country and you get a whole wad of different nationalities and religions building up, building up, building up where they no longer can keep control of it, you aren't going to control that anyway. They're going to be streaming up into all parts of Europe regardless because you can't stop that. That's the, the, biggest, dis- borders anyway. the biggest issue for the whole of Western Europe is more to do with migrants in the future and actually putting a wall up, I'm afraid that's going to eventually, there will be a moment where we go, nope, there's a wall. Who's putting the wall up? Us. The wealthier nations, yeah. Not in our lifetime, it's not going to happen, but there will need to be some form of agreement stroke unity between those various countries to agree on some sort of tactic. Interestingly, and that was one of my problems, which is why I became how I did, Europe's answer to most questions appears to be more Europe, if you understand. They've never managed to make the fiscal union where they're all in the same tax club, like yeah. they call it the Hamiltonian moment with the US dollar covering all states. They've never done that in Europe. Do you think they ever will? No, not now. Then it's doomed. Yeah, I concur with that. And their more Europe bit is this unelected... But You may complain about Boris. At least we can vote him out. No, 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 you can't vote the Conservatives out anymore unless all of the other parties join together and have one candidate against the Conservatives, yeah, well, we, we, and then they'd be voted before. out. Tony Blair was going to have a Labour Party, was going to run forever, he didn't. No, 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 the Conservative Party are pretty, pretty well entrenched now, unless all the other parties come to some form of union, <laughs> say just one candidate Why against one. Well, the Conservative Party, is it recognised? We can't vote him out, is a point. It's never, I've had so many people tell me that farmers do much better under a Labour government than Conservative government. Is that true? Well, yeah, of course it is, by definition, because they know on the whole... They're going to get the farming vote. And we're so insignificant in terms of trade. Yeah, well, which leads on to the dynamic of what the changes in agriculture at the moment. You know, do you feel safe in George Eustace and Liz Truss's hands? Just on a deal with Australia? Doesn't really mean anything. But the door is now open for... No, I definitely don't feel safe. I've heard other people say, if you think the new Elms and DEFRA is going to... Don't hold your breath. It'll be difficult, long, who knows. And... You know what's going to come in a minute, don't you? Go on. Well, the door's open because we're no longer part of the European Union. We can do free trade all around the world. Free trade all around the world normally means cheap product. And in terms of let's try and sell our high-end product in return for our agriculture. Yes, let's knock down a rainforest, chuck some stuff in there, sell it to the UK because we've got an open-door policy. Agriculture suffers most through leaving... Maybe. Go back to the Australian deal, Mm -hmm. which is tiny percentage-wise, we know... But the NFU, for example, were making quite a lot. I can see where they're coming from. Some of that thought that was right. But I was, in these situations, I think, so we're complaining as British farmers that a whole load of cheap, substandard, 
Australian beef or whatever is going to end up here competing. Now, if we, as British farmers, my own hunch was we can't compete with someone exporting from the other side of the world. If you have a set of criteria that says your cows have to be... We need farmers to educate. No, so grass-fed beef is going to be where beef ends up to have Mm -hmm. a chance of not being such a carbon terrible thing. Competing with feedlots in Australia where they've not got those regulations, they've never seen a blade of grass, they can put the bullock on a transporter and transport it for two whole days with no food, no water, and then do something, whatever they do to it, to get it into Mm -hmm. a carcass, to get across here. The levels of protection or welfare, enormously different. And so the issue for me, the government is saying, yeah, okay, they're dwelling on a picture of a nice grass-fed animal over here while talking about the subject let's show the misery of some of those feedlots that you're trying to compete with and the green footprint of that and then turn around and say and we're going to put a big australian flag on this so you know that this stuff comes from those places that's the thing that writes me i don't mind competing that's been going on for years that's been going on for years with all bacon chicken from brazil it's a labeling do we all know that no, is no, it, right? beef, it says British beef on <coughs> certain supermarkets, bog standard beef mints, or any other beef. But it says British beef, and it isn't. It's Argentinian half the time. Because if it's processed at Hull or in a British site, it can be labelled as British. Yeah, no, I think labelling, it says 100% British now. I think if you've got a British Union jacket, yeah, they have sorted factor. that out, which has been voted out. You know, people think it's a waste of time, which is ironic. It kind of is and it isn't. The labelling is not clear. You'll have the aisle at Sainsbury's with all of the British product. At the end of the aisle, there'll be nothing said about where it comes from, except True. a very small print made in the Netherlands. And this is their two for one, 14, 14 chops. Over. The worst one is flipping over whatever your vegetable product is. Produce of the EU. <gasps> Which bit of the EU? Yeah, but the EU has a level of kind of... Well, one assumed they were on a level playing field, but it transpires they probably weren't on several things. So, yeah, <laughs> that's as bad. But until the consumer takes responsibility, they can point a finger at farmers for ruining the planet. Ultimately, the responsibility is the consumer. And as long as they're as dim as they are, that's never going to change. And as long as government keeps them as dim as they are, then... I think you're being a bit harsh. Dear I, I can remember seeing on TV a bacon testing where they had, for example, half a dozen slices of bacon and were testing. Some, some very nice market town, I remember. But anyway, first bit of bacon was okay, and, and nearly everyone got to the same thing, because by the time we got to the sixth bacon, it was free-range, organic, Parker, old mm. English. Tr- yeah. And it was fantastic. Mm. And when you discussed it with people, and would you, uh, this is straw-based, organic, free-range, whatever... Oh, yeah, definitely. Fantastic. And it always goes back to the same thing. They then flick over the prices. And the first one, which was just okay, was Danish at £1.09 a pack. And the free-range, wonderful... £6.25. was £10.95. Oh, I can't afford that. Yeah. We all can be like that. Yeah, no, 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 we do. Yeah, I but, have. <laughs> yeah, no, we, yeah, we, we, yeah, we shop at... Uh, well, the, ironically, the Lidl store has got 100% British meat, which is really, really refreshing. You go Good in there. for those Germans. We must stick to get... Oh, no, we just... No, can't. but that's the point. That in the UK, they source... That's brilliant. Yep. You know it's going to be British. In, I buy my meat in Lidl now if I don't go to a local butcher. No, Morrison's is supposed to be good on local stuff. Well, they're about to be sold to some American venture capitalist who's going to sell all the stuff off anyway, so it's kind of where the yep. circle goes. Right, so let's sum up the Brexit feeling. I concede that the Europeans have not covered themselves in glory. I'm not broken-hearted. We're not part of Europe. I think that, you know, it's happened. We've got to get on with it. I'd like to think that I get on with every nation, you know, as an individual whenever you meet anybody you try your hardest to get on with them as a collect i think i don't blame the french for insisting on everything being in french 
because that's logical. We've left and we're English and that was the language everyone was using. Unlucky that they didn't have the Beatles and American songs to teach them how to speak in French. So here we sit. We are on our own. I think the biggest vulnerability we have is this trade deal stuff and the lack of fairness in competition. I think the UK agriculture is very vulnerable because we've left. And that's the industry I'm in. That's my biggest fear. And I think that will come to haunt us later. It's a four, five, six years down the line thing that when the true cost will affect me. And the single farm payment going as well. So we're going to lose subsidies Well, at the time we're adjusting to a very different world. Mm. It's going to be tough. Well, not having a French farmer fight for your subsidies, it's a bit disappointing. No, yeah, careful what I say here, because you know, and you're probably just tapping into it, you know that I'm not a big subsidy fan. No. I think that I, system has done as much harm as it has done good. So what is the answer for a farm like this without subsidy? You'll dance to whatever tune you have to, one assumes, commercially, as the primary reason mm. to do what you do next. Another shed, do it. Another shed? I think a lot of us are in the same boat, just slightly scratching our head as to, I think we're all realising what's coming and are probably trying to adapt quite fast. Do you think you'll be growing as many cereals in five years' time? No, but I don't think we'll be that far short. Okay, so on our type of soil, the big question following that would be, what else are you going to do? Well, I don't know. It's a good question. If you're near a conurbation, then you've either got housing, solar panels, but a lot of places that doesn't apply. It doesn't apply much to us. Unless there's going to be a new British environmental Swiss-style government where you have sweeping fields of flowering meadows and there is a neighbour north of us who's very much in that world... Yeah, Chris Skinner. Yeah. And I sincerely hope he makes a good living doing that because it was very light land. I and hope you do because he's getting even more taxpayers' money than average well, farmers are. Yeah, so that being the case... It's not he's, sustainable, it, basically, every, right, is it? Well, well, you I, just talked about food. I don't know. We're, we talked about foreign food coming Sorry. in. Do you think there isn't an opportunity for British farmers to keep growing food and to do it better than any other people? I, I totally do, but I think we have to go through a process where the farmers collectively get together at some point and go hang on a minute you know this last year the miller had a big premium for soft wheat which he didn't like paying the farmer a big premium soft wheat so he paid extra money for german imported wheat and various other places and stuffed himself full of it and destroyed the premium on soft wheat for the uk farmer i think the uk farmer needs to be collectively capable of going I'm not doing that anymore. Well, you could go yeah, something else. That's an old economics lesson, isn't it, of years ago, that they taught, even if you've got every farmer in England to join together and agree that it would be much better to market all our wheat as England wheat PLC, it actually makes, as you would well, the only way you... it would make no difference on the world market one way or the other. No, but the only way that will ever happen is in true adversity. As long as farmers are making the living, and oh, we're really poor, as long as they're making the living that they're making, they don't need to change and come away from being independent. It's only going to be an excess of government, lack of fairness or whatever, that creates an imbalance in price for us to turn around and say, well, it's not viable to grow a crop, let's not bother. Or let's collectively get together and say, no, enough, we're not going to do it. Will that ever come? Again, not in our lifetime, probably. No. But I think we're on a fine line. I personally think cereal prices are going to go up. I think let people will grow less. Five years' time, everyone will be growing less. And some people will be going nothing, which will take quite a slug out of our production. And I don't think you'll be able to replace it that easily with product that is palatable. You know, Amazon-grown corn is not. If people become a little bit more aware of that as it comes in, I suspect, as the world becomes greener and more aware. So I think there is a great future for cereal prices. It's just got to go through a bit of a, well, I don't know, a bit of a whirlwind in between now and then. 
Yeah, I think we've had a reasonably good run as well. And things go up and down, markets go up and down. And when you've had a good run, relatively, we may not all think it, but when you get a bad run and weather goes against you and later harvest and wetter harvest, what does not change things? Mm. True. In those years when wheat was 60-something pounds <laughs> a tonne and we dried it all. I know costs were less, but... Yeah, I do remember that. I remember I'm the grateful for a subsidy then. utter misery of everybody. Well, I can't see the world being capable of providing itself with enough food ongoing unless it radically changes its ways. And the middle class in China is going to be China's biggest obstruction to growth because the demands internally will be such that they will be demanding lots of that production to come into their own homes and, you know, they are a very hungry nation for commodities. Anyway, with that happy thought, we've got through the horrid Brexit conversation, I think. And, yeah, you know, we're still happy. I thought the horrid Brexit conversation was entirely uplifting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, congratulations on your side winning on the Brexit. My side wasn't my side. It, it was, it was. You still won't let it go, really, you can't get over it. <laughs> For three years, the British public voted one way, and even at the death, British politicians were doing everything they could to stop the will of the people. Dangerous time. Yeah. But we got there, because... 49.4% versus 51. Sorry, we just referred to the fact that the Brexit margin was a bigger margin than most... Was it bigger than the, it was bigger than the uh, than the Scottish independence vote last time, Ryan? Wasn't it? What do you think about that one? Do you think they'll go on their own? They'll win the Euros That's if they do. Right. That is really going to be <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Uh, Scots people I talk to would say no, but the mass populace seems to like the idea. I think you visit the borders, don't you? I do. The borders are dead against it. No, I go further north, and there's really Aberdeenshire. Okay. How oh, well? Mm. Well, we'll wait and see on that one. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Anyway, David, by the time this recording goes out, we should just about be into the first barley. So I hope you have a magnificent yield, and I hope the prices have gone through the roof because something terrible has happened somewhere else. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers, David. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released, and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.